Philippians chapter number 1. This is not the message I was going to preach tonight, but it is the message God laid on my heart uh, during today. I had another message that uh, we were going to preach, but this I believe be the mind of God tonight. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. What a blessing it is to be here. I trust you're excited to be here. We ought to be excited to be here. Amen. Uh, there's folks all over the world walking miles and miles and imperishing, imperiling their lives and, and their well-being so they can do what you and I are able to do freely tonight. What a blessing that is. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter number 1 tonight. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. The Apostle Paul, this of course is a prison epistle. and He is writing this uh, from a prison in Rome. and He says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this evening. What a blessing to be here tonight. I pray that the sweet Holy Ghost would take your word tonight, that he would apply it, that he would minister it to our hearts and minds. Lord, we can study your word and we can learn facts and we can learn theology and we can learn structure and things like that. But Lord, we can't hear a word from heaven except you give it to us. So God, help us to have our hearts open to that word from heaven as you would seek to uh, take your truth and engraft it into our lives that we might be made more like Christ. Bless this time now that we have. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice with me verse number 12. Paul says this, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Now what does Paul mean by those things that have happened unto him? If you're a student of your Bible, you know that the Apostle Paul was a jailbird. He spent time in and out of jail. One of my favorite things in the Word of God, you go through the book of Acts, and everywhere that Paul shows up, pretty soon he'll say things like this, there was a great tumult. Or it'll say there's a great stir in the city. Uh, it'll say that many people were were stirred about. And I want to be that kind of Christian, man. I want to be the kind that that when I, when I show up, man, I, it's, it's either going to be a, a revival break or a jail break. Somebody say amen. One of those two. I'm talking about, but God's going to do something wherever I'm at. God's going to do a work. And the Apostle Paul, he was that kind of Christian. Well, he winds up spending some time in prison for the testimony and witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think we should take lightly what Paul went through. I think sometimes it is easy in light of Paul's 
uh, spiritual buoyancy uh, to dismiss what a uh, terrible thing it must have been that Paul was going through. We could say three things about him while he's in prison. Number one, we could say that he is in a dark place. And you say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, I do not just mean that he is in a visually dark place, although I think it is likely that wherever he was staying was probably an unsettling and unpleasant environment as far as the uh, comfort uh, that he was uh, staying in. But I would say this, he was staying in a place that could have been a spiritually dark place. In other words, he wasn't going through a high time in his life, he was going through a low time in his life. Now you wouldn't know it to read the book of Philippians. When you read through it, I, I don't know, I don't know what you expect, but uh, somebody sitting down in the jailhouse like Paul is, I'd figure it, he'd be writing and, and I, I'd figure there'd be maybe some complaining, uh, maybe some confusion, uh, maybe some uh, crying out to God. Maybe if I was doing it, it'd read like one of them, uh, what they call imprecatory psalms in the Old Testament where God, where uh, David's praying down the judgment of God on his enemies. Amen. You ever have an imprecatory day? I have at least three a week. Amen. <laughs> where all I do, my whole prayer life, just God won't you smite them people. Amen. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, that's what I would have expected. Uh, but when you're reading the book of Philippians, that's not what you'll find. You know what the key word of the book of Philippians is? It's the word joy. Joy. In other words, he found joy in the midst of his jailhouse. He found in a dark place where you and I would anticipate uh, him struggling, we find him singing. Not only is it a dark place, I'd say number two, it is a devastating place. And he said, what do you mean, preacher? This could have derailed his entire ministry. Uh, in fact, there's no doubt he talks about uh, uh, the fact that the church of Philippi is not ashamed of him in his bonds. Now, what does that mean? Well, they're not afraid that he's been to prison for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that suggest to us tonight? Well, it suggests to me uh, that uh, if he's bragging on them for not being ashamed, there must have been a crowd that was ashamed. There must have been a crowd that had turned their back on him. There must have been a group that had said, well, we want nothing to do with him and wash their hands of him. And I would say this, that for a man whose entire life is the preaching of the gospel, the ministering to the people of God, and the reaching of sinners with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he could have viewed this and he could have said, hey man, my life is over. My ministry is over. Everything good about my life is done. It is burned to the ground. He was in what most people would think of as a devastating place. In other words, there's going to be times in your life you go through Darkness, there's going to be times in your life you go through devastation. Times when things befall you. I, I think it's funny the way that he, he says this. He didn't say these things fell on me. He said these things fell off of me and fell out to some other things. And I like that. Uh, it's almost like Paul saying it, it, it fell out and hit me on the head first, but it didn't stop there. Uh, God in his providential hand rolled that thing off of me and turned it into something uh, better. In other words, uh, he says it's fallen out. There's going to be times that things fall upon you in your life that are devastating. Things that you didn't ask for, things you didn't pray for, things that you can't see how good could come out of. And Paul is suffering in a situation like that. I would say this, not only is it a dark place and a devastating place, but I think it'd be fair to say that it was a disorienting place. And you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, if I had been Paul, I would have had some questions. Uh, one of my questions would have been this, and and uh, this is why I ain't the Apostle Paul, because Paul wouldn't have thought of himself this way. But I would have thought, Lord, why'd you take your best servant and lock him up in jail where he can't go plant churches? Uh, why'd you take the greatest missionary and take him off the field 
and put them in the jailhouse. God, why did you do that, Lord? Why, why did you take... I mean, there's so many people out here. Why didn't you go get Demas and pull him out of his backslidness and throw him in the jailhouse? Why didn't you go find Alexander the coppersmith who did me much evil and take him and throw him in the jailhouse? God, why is this happening to me? There's going to be times in our lives where I'm just going to be honest, God ain't going to make a lick of sense. We're going to know all the same theology we already knew. We're going to know all the same gospel songs we already knew. We're still going to have memorized all the Scripture that we already have memorized. But trying to take all that and fit that in a box and make God make sense is not going to work. It ain't going to happen. There's going to be times we're going to look up towards heaven and just have to say, God, I do not understand what you're doing in my life. And I think Paul, I mean, if any man had a right to be in that kind of a frame of mind, I think it would be the Apostle Paul, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think he'd be sitting there saying, God, I just don't understand this. All I've done is try to serve you. All I've done is try to live for you. And now here I am sitting down here in a jailhouse, uh, sitting down here, my, my ministry on hold, my testimony in shambles. Why, Lord, did you allow this to happen to me? We could maybe say it this way. Uh, this could have discouraged him. It would have probably discouraged any of us. There was great potential for this to cause him to lose his joy and his song. He had already sang in the jailhouse one time, but he thought that was just a one-time only show. But now, here he is in the jailhouse again, and he's being asked to sing praise to the Lord, to give testimony to God. And it would have been real easy for him to say, Lord, I just ain't got the strength this time, and to give in to discouragement. It could have discouraged him. I would say this, if he had let it, it would have destroyed him. There's been a lot of people, and you've probably known some folks like this, but I've known people in my life that was going and growing for God and doing something for the Lord. And then it's like the devil just hit them with a thunderbolt, man. Something so bad, something so devastating happened in their life that it's almost like they just never, it's like they got knocked down and never got back up. Their entire life is now framed by that calamity. I'd say this, we live in a society that has put a high value in currency upon victimhood. And if you're not careful, listen, I don't even know why I'm about to say this, but the Lord ain't stopped me, so I'm going to. Uh, listen, uh, the world will make you a perpetual victim if it can. But the Bible tells me that I'm not a victim, I'm a victim. So if I listen to the world, I'm, I'm just a victim. That's all I am. The devil wants us to be a victim. You know why? So that he can be our champion. So that he can come along and say, I'll help you. I'll fix it for you. I'll be your friend. Uh, listen, hey, uh, uh, a victor, uh, he don't need no friends because he's got, he's got a captain, he's got a lord, he's got a commander. And that's why the world wants you to be a, a victim. You know why it's victimizing you? So that it can co-op you. That's why it's doing that. But the Bible tells me I'm not a victim, man. I'm a victor in Christ Jesus. I'm a conqueror. Hey, listen, I, I, I'm not somebody that, that uh, the world is, is uh, throwing around like a rag dog. My, uh, listen, my faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen? I mean, how easy would it have been for Paul to let this just make him a perpetual victim, spend the rest of his life uh, complaining about what happened? It could have destroyed him. I would say this, it should have derailed him. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I think anybody reasonably would have said, well, old Paul's done. And yet we find that God was not done with Paul. The world may have been done with Paul. The church, uh, little c, may have been done with Paul. But God was not done with Paul. And so what we find in this passage, I mean, if this had been the, the, the letter to the church at Philippi, written by the hand of uh, Toby, uh, the preacher at Walridge, uh, it, it would have it read something like this. I'm in jail. Uh, send cookies and please pray. That's all it would have said. 
But that's not what the Holy Ghost said through Paul. Instead, he says this, I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out, and I like this word, I want you to notice it, rather under the furtherance of the gospel. That word rather is a 180 degree turn. It is a cold stop right in your tracks and a turn your nose around and head the other direction. It is God through Paul saying, hey, the world would have destroyed him. The devil would have destroyed him. Life would have, uh, would have uh, annihilated him. But God intervened and took all these things that should have, that could have, that would have destroyed him and instead used these to develop him. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Turning your ruin into a rather. How was it that Paul took probably one of the lowest times of his life, one of the worst times of his life, and instead of sitting around and complaining and crying and moaning, he says, you know, God is using this, and I would rather, and God would rather these things be used unto His glory than merely unto my grief. How does a man do that? I think if we can learn that, we'd be well nigh invincible, wouldn't you think? If we could learn how to go through what Paul's going through and praise God instead of complaining and learn how to, how to rejoice in God instead of complaining. I mean, what could the world throw at us that we could not handle? I think us are learning how to turn this ruin into a rather is the key to strengthening our Christian walk. Well, how did he do that? I noticed that he did this because of three things or in three ways. Look with me at verse number 13. Uh, I said three, I meant four. I might mean five or six before we're done. I don't know, but right now I just mean four. No, I'm sorry, I mean five. Look what it says in verse 13. Paul says, so that my bonds in Christ... Well, let's start it at verse 12. Let's read it so it so it reads right. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palaces and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. How did he turn his ruin into a rather? Well, I noticed number one, because of his consideration of providence. Paul looks at it and he says, you know, I, I wouldn't have chose this path for me. I wouldn't have picked out this jail cell. But I've got to admit, there's folks here in the gospel that I would have never wretched out in those cities. He says that my bonds are being manifest all throughout the palace. Now, what palace is that? That's the palace of Rome. That's the palace of Nero's Rome. I'm talking about Nero was one of the most wicked and vicious and vile men to ever live. He hated Christians uh, with a burning passion. He would have his, uh, his garden parties and he would take Christians and he would crucify them and light them on fire to be torches uh, for the parties that he was having. He was a wicked man. He would have never gone down to the riverside to hear the Apostle Paul preach. He would have never gone down to the house of the widow woman to sit around the table and listen to Paul preach. But here's Paul in Rome, in the prison house, with his defense being ready to stand before Nero and to share what Christ has done for him. If secular history is any uh, indicator, uh, Paul got that chance. Uh, he, you remember in the book of Acts, uh, makes this statement whenever they take him and they're getting ready to arrest him and throw him in jail. He says this, he says, I appeal to Caesar. Uh, 
Uh, now, that, that ain't a light thing. He had a right as a Roman citizen uh, if he wanted to, to have his case heard by Caesar himself. And when Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, he set his life and course on a fate and a destiny that was, uh, that was inexorable. In other words, he was headed to Nero's throne room. And the means by which he would get there would not be through leisure, it would not be through pleasure, it would not be through comfort, but rather it would be through the prison house. And here he is sitting in jail. And he, he, I, you know, I don't think Paul enjoyed it. Nobody would enjoy these circumstances. But here's what I think he said. I think he said, you know, I didn't plan this, but I'm starting to think God did. I didn't plan this, but I'm starting to think God did. Because here I sit in the prison house and every few hours they chain these Roman soldiers to me and I get to preach to them. One of these days I'm going to stand before the most powerful human being in the entire world. And he's a wicked man and he's a hater of God. But I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says, you know, it's not only that. There was folks who didn't even know there was somebody like me that'd be willing to pay the price to preach the gospel of Christ. There's people in all these little cities around here that are being persecuted, that thought they was alone, but now they see me standing set, ready for the defense of the gospel, and they're emboldened by my testimony. He's saying this, hey, my testimony is reaching places that it could not have reached were it not for my circumstance. Hey, let me encourage you a little bit tonight. It helps you when you're going through these dark times, take a moment, stop, and check in on what God's doing. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with what's happening to us that we don't pay no attention to what God's doing through us. We're just grieving over some loss. We're grieving over some tragedy. We're grieving over some calamity. We're grieving over some unpleasantness in our life. And we never stop and sit back and try to look around and see how God is using that thing. How did Paul say rather? How did he turn that ruin into a rather? Because he took the time to stop and look and say, what's God doing in this thing? You may find out if you'd stop and look around that God's doing more than you think He is. In fact, I'd say this, God's always doing more than you think He is. Uh, He's always doing more than you think He is. I would say this, number one tonight, His consideration of providence. It helps us to stop and look at what God's doing. Number two tonight, look at verse 15. The Bible says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Let me pause there. What does he mean by that? I'll admit to you, uh, there's going to have to be just a, a hair of speculation about what Paul's saying here because he doesn't explain exactly in detail. Uh, but there are a few possibilities here. It is a possibility that there were some that believed they were intensifying the persecution on Paul just merely by by nature and by virtue of preaching the gospel. But I sort of think instead, here's what was happening. You can disagree with me. You're free and at liberty to do that. We still last... I, I, I looked at the news at 4 o'clock and we are still a free country. So as far as I know, you can still disagree with me. Uh, you, you might not... They might ban it or something. I don't know. Or might ban me. But, but you can still do it. And uh, So you, you can disagree with me about this if you want. But here's what I think was happening. I think there was a crowd that was standing up and was preaching. And then they was turning and looking back at the Apostle Paul and he was saying, uh, we're not with that fellow. I think there was a crowd that was standing up and they were, listen now, they was preaching the gospel. But there's a lot more in that Bible than just the gospel. There's a lot more in that Bible than just the gospel. And so there's men that can preach the gospel and preach only the gospel and never really say anything that's going to divide them from any kind of compromise or any kind of ungodliness. 
There's people make a living off of. They pack churches out to being as vague, as broad, as nondescript as they can in talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they are preaching the gospel. They're not preaching an adulterated gospel. Uh, but they're, they're just, and, and here's what they'll do sometimes. Then they'll turn around and they'll look at somebody that stands on the truth of the word of God and they'll say, those people are so critical. Well, you know, it's easy for you to say, uh, you ain't taking a stand on the Bible because you ain't preaching no Bible. You're preaching the gospel and, and God bless you for it. That's good. Uh, but you don't never venture outside of John 3. And so it ain't no wonder you never say anything that upsets anybody. And they'll turn and they'll look back at somebody preaching the whole counsel of God that sometimes that's going to lead you to some uncomfortable uh, positions biblically uh, or socially speaking. Not biblically, but socially speaking uh, in your interactions and friendships. And they say, well, that crowd is just so critical. I'm talking about pointing at preachers that are preaching the truth toward it. They'll say, that crowd is just so critical over there. And what they'll do is is they'll lay compare and contrast. They'll say this, they'll say, we are an example of preaching Christ in a nice way. We're not like those fanatics over there that have opinions about everything. Now what are they doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. A hand grenade has been lobbed at them, and instead of them jumping on it, they're reaching over and grabbing you by the collar and pulling you over top up. That's what they're doing. And there'll always be a crowd that helps them. There'll always be a crowd that, well, why are you criticizing them? Why are you, why does it matter? Why does it this? Why does it that? There'll always be a crowd that does that. But what's Paul's attitude about that? Now, this is where it's going to smite me because I tell you what I want to do. I want to turn back at that crowd and I want to say, you bunch of compromisers. I want to turn back at that crowd and say, you bunch of yellow people. Why, why are you doing this? Yellow belly coward people. What's the matter with you? That's what I want to do. But what did Paul do? Paul instead, you know what he says? He says, I'm not happy about what they're doing. Uh, but I will say this. If they are preaching a true gospel, I may be the one that's laying on top of the hand grenade, uh, but at least the gospel's being preached. I would say it this way. How did he turn this ruin into a rather? One, because of his consideration of providence. Number two, because of his clarity of perspective. He says this. Uh, what then? Verse 18. Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. He says, I may not like what they're doing. They may be trying to hurt me through what they're doing. But you know God's so providential, He can even take their hostility and turn it to His majesty and His glory. He can take their ill treatment and use that thing to cause the gospel of Christ to be preached. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm glad that the... I'm glad that the deliverer, I'm glad the vessel, you know, Paul says this about the gospel, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. Uh, uh, weak vessels. Broken vessels. Imperfect vessels. I'm glad that the, I'm glad the trumpet don't have to be perfect uh, for the message to sound clear. Amen? I, in other words, I'm, I'm glad God can use even people that don't have everything right with the gospel of G. They can use them if they're preaching a true gospel to reach people with the gospel of Christ. I, I, I'm glad that God is providential over all those things. And you know what we need to recognize? We need to understand that in our uh, devastation, in our darkness, in our situation, here's what God's going to do. He's not only going to take and, and, and cause that gospel, that witness, that testimony to be sounded in places that it otherwise would never have been sounded. But he's going to take and expand the footprint of His work in this world. Paul says, you know what I recognize? Uh, some are preaching Christ of envy and strife. Uh, some are preaching it of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. But he says, I'm just tickled that Christ is being preached. 
I'm just content. You know, we could say it this way. You know what Paul recognizes? It ain't about me. It ain't about me. It ain't about me. I, I, I ain't even talking to you anymore. I, this is just helping me. It ain't about me. It, it ain't this, this whole thing. It ain't about me. All right. Some people, some people think this is them and that right there is the world revolving around them. I got news for you. It ain't about us. It's about Christ. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, it means sometimes you're going to get caught in the crossfire of man's hostility. And you say, well, that's terrible, preacher. Well, it's bad. I'll grant you that. But, you know, it'll be okay. As long as Christ is preached, that's all that matters. This rather was not all these bad things are happening unto me and they could have destroyed me, but rather God used them to make me comfortable and to make me happy and to give me all the things that I, I want. He says they've fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. What Paul says is, I'm not what matters anyway. God is who matters. And because God is who matters, God is being magnified. And he said, that's enough. That's enough. So I'd say his consideration of providence. I'd say his clarity of perspective. Number three, look at the end of verse 18. Let's read all of verse 18. Paul says, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, Paul says, and I therein do rejoice. Now notice what he says here, yea, and will rejoice. Isn't that a funny thing to say? I, I would I would say this, were this not Holy Ghost inspired, that's probably redundant. But the Holy Ghost never said anything redundant. He don't waste any words. It's always there for a reason. And so you can believe what you want about this, but I'll tell you my opinion. I think the first time he's saying it as a statement of fact, and I think the second time he's saying it is a statement of force. In other words, I think the first time he's saying, hey, I rejoice that Christ is being preached. And then, uh, like we was preaching about this morning, that old king reared up in him and said, you sure about that, Paul? Everything you're going through, everything you're suffering, you sure that's worth it? You sure you can praise God? You sure you can rejoice in Him? And all of a sudden, the new king steps up, stomps on his head and says, and I will rejoice. In other words, I would say this, uh, he, he could turn that ruin into a rather because of his commitment to praise. He had done made his mind up he wasn't going to complain about God. He had made his mind up even when he did not understand God, God was right. Hey, listen, you can complain to God, but you ought not complain about God. What's the difference? Well, the one you're talking to him, the other you're talking to us. It's okay to question, but don't criticize it's okay to, to wonder at him, but listen, don't accuse him. Paul says, I don't like what I'm going through, uh, but I done made up my mind long ago. I was going to praise him whether I felt like it or not because he's worthy whether I feel like it or not. He's worthy on your worst day. He's still worthy. I, I, I'm talking about on your worst day. When you feel the worst you've ever felt, he's still worthy of your prayer. Now let me back up and make confession to you. There's been days I shouldn't have praised Him that I should have. Uh, there, the Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Uh, there are days I should have praised Him and I didn't. And I'm not claiming to be perfect. I'm just saying for you and for me and for all of us, uh, even on our worst day, He's worthy of our praise. So Paul makes up his mind that he's just going to go ahead and praise God. I remember hearing a man say years ago, and I've shared this from the pulpit before. It'll be familiar to you. But I remember hearing a man say years ago uh, that... Uh, he said, you know, the decision to go to church is really a decision you only make one time in your life. And uh, I, I sort of looked at him and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, when you make up your mind that it is your duty to be in the house of God, 
unless you're providentially hindered. Then there'll never be a discussion you have about whether to go to church. He said, now there'll still be times you can't be at church because we all at times are providentially hindered. We get sick, we have flat tires, we have things happen. Uh, I think vacation is a providentially hindered. Somebody say amen to that. Not every other week, but I mean, you know, within reason. I don't think God's mad at you. And uh, he's saying, you know, there's going to be times that you're providentially hindered. But he said, when you make up your mind that that's where you belong, there'll never be that conversation at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon where you wake up from your uh, from your food coma and look over, squint-eyed at the other and say, well, we're going to go to church. No, you already know you're going to go to church. That man's out of church today. <laughs> But you know the commitment to praise God sort of the same way. It's like Paul had done made himself his mind up. He had been in prison once before. And he had figured out what to do. When you get in prison, just praise Him. Pretty soon an earthquake will shake you loose. And it's like now this time, he says, well, it worked last time. It's going to work eventually this time. I'm just going to go ahead and praise Him no matter what. You know, you'd be amazed what the power of praise to the Lord can do in your life. I'm not a believer in the power of positive thinking. I'm too negative a person to be. But I would say this. Uh, the Bible tells us that God inhabits the praise of His people. When we just go ahead and start praising God, we start getting some help. I'm not saying the Lord's going to shake your jailhouse loose like He did for Paul. But He might just shake your heart loose. He might just give you that joy He talks about in the book of Philippians. But how did that happen? Well, He just went ahead and praised. You know, in the Old Testament... Uh, the tribes of Israel, whenever the camp would move, uh, they had uh, tribes would camp on either side of the tabernacle. And uh, when it, and there was a whole process whenever they'd, they'd get ready to move the tabernacle. They didn't just barrel out of there. They had a process. This tribe would go, and then that tribe would go, and then this tribe would go, and, and they'd be the ones that go forth. And, and it didn't go in order of the sons. You'd think you'd just start with the oldest boy, and then to the next, and to the next, to the next. That's not how it worked. God stationed different tribes in different places and said, this tribe goes, then this tribe goes, then this tribe goes. You know what the first tribe that set in motion was? When they was going to go somewhere, this tribe was out front. They sent them forth first. You know it was the tribe of Judah. You know what the word Judah means? It means praise. I think that was sort of a general reminder in the Old Testament that when you got to move, just go ahead and start with praise and the rest will follow. When, when you're going through a hard time, go ahead and praise Him. I don't feel like it. I didn't say whether you felt like it. He's worthy. Go ahead and praise Him. I've never met a person said, I regret all that time I spent praising God. What a waste it was. I meet people all the time that say, boy, you know I don't praise Him enough. So go ahead and just commit to praise Him. Then look at verse number 19. The Bible says this, Paul, Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now the word salvation in your Bible is not always meant uh, concerning the redemption of the soul of the of the sinner, there are times it means that. A great many times it means that. There's other times that it that it means otherwise. The Bible talks about women being saved through childbearing. And I'll be honest, I've been there when my wife's had two kids and she didn't seem very saved when she was trying to get them kids out. Somebody say amen to that. I ain't gonna I ain't gonna say she's cussing, but I ain't gonna say she wasn't. And uh, but that word saved, it, it can mean different things. It can be used in a practical sense. And I think that's what, verse 19, I think that's what that, it's in a practical sense. He's saying, you know, God's going to get me out of here. That's what he's saying. You know, God's going to get me out of here. I know that this shall turn to my salvation. How's that going to happen? He says, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. 
How did he turn this ruin into a rather? Well, because of his consideration of providence, his clarity of perspective, his commitment to praise. And then I'd say this because of his confidence in prayer. He said, you know, when I don't know what else to do, I know I can pray about it. And I know that there's people out there that are praying for me. One of the greatest things that you can ever do for a person is genuinely, sincerely, legitimately pray for them. How often do we tell folks we're praying for them when we ain't? How often do we ask folks to pray for things we ain't praying about? But to pray for a person is one of the greatest kindness that you can ever do for them. It ain't about sending thoughts. It ain't about sending good vibes. If you'll go to the throne room of grace with their name on your lips and say, God, please work in their life this situation. You've done a precious thing. Paul says, you know, I have every confidence in the world. I'm praying about this and other folks are praying about this. I have every reason to believe I'm going to get out of this prison. Uh, we, we, depending on who you read and what your perspective is, uh, it would be suggested to us that Paul did get out of prison, that he later on died in prison uh, that at the hand of, of Nero, but that when this was penned, uh, this was uh, during an earlier imprisonment. I, I don't know if that's true or not. The Bible doesn't say definitively. But I'd say this, one way or another, he did get out of that prison. God did get him out of that prison. But how did he praise God? Well, he had confidence in the prayers that people were praying for him. And he said, you know, I can't answer how all this will work out, but I just have to believe with all these folks praying for me, God's going to do something. Uh, you'd be amazed what kind of confidence it can give you when you trust that people are praying for you and when people are praying for you. It can turn that ruin into a rather. Let me show you one more and I'll be done tonight. Verse number 20. This I really think is probably the most important one. Verse number 20 says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How did he turn this ruin into a rather? Well, I'd say this, he did it with his clear-cut priority. He said, you know, all that matters in my life is that Christ be magnified. Nothing else matters. And so, if through my life Christ is magnified, praise the Lord, I'll go on living. If through my death Christ is magnified, praise the Lord, I'll go ahead and die and go on into glory. But one way or the other, the only thing that absolute is a must is that Christ be magnified. I'm going to make a, a statement. I hope you'll receive it with grace. We've been conditioned over the past year or so to believe that the Worst thing the world can happen to us is that we die. That's not a biblical perspective. It's just not. I ain't mad at you. I hope you're not mad at me. But that is not the biblical perspective. The worst thing you could do is for your life to not be about Jesus Christ. Paul himself says, you know, I may die, but as long as Christ is magnified, I'm okay. He says, I'll go on living. And in fact, he says, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd rather go ahead and go to glory. But he says, if Christ wants me to stay here, that's all right. I'll stay here and I'll just keep living for Christ. And so it's almost like he's saying, you know, it really don't matter what happens to me. Only that Christ receives glory from my life. That's the reason he could say, though I'm in a place of ruin, rather this has fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. At the end of the day, it don't matter what happens to Paul. What matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of Jesus Christ. When you make that the priority in your life, you know what it does? I, 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 I want to be careful how I say this. What it does is, is it takes away the capability of the world to put its hands on you. Uh, it can try to destroy you, but it can't do it. Uh, it can try to derail you, but it can't do it. 
When you make Christ and His glory the priority in your life, you have no master but Christ and Him alone. And the world can uh, set its onslaught against you, but at the end of the day, it cannot touch you. I'm not saying you can't die. I'm not saying bad things can't happen to you. I'm saying this, that part of you on the inside uh, that the world can't touch can uh, shine through even in the midst of that darkness. And the Lord can be magnified and the Lord can be glorified. Paul lived like a man that wasn't under Nero's jurisdiction. You know why? Because he was a man that wasn't under Nero's jurisdiction. Hey, Rome may have won the day, but eternity belongs to God. And as such, you know, he recognized that as long as Christ is magnified, that's all that matters in my life. Now, there's a lot of us that say that, but we don't mean it. We want to mean it, but the problem is we've got too many other things in our life that we've done fell in love with. We've not mortified those things until the only thing that's left is Jesus Christ. Until we do that, we're going to struggle with it. But if we just go ahead and, and mortify all that, crucify our old man, put to death all of our old ambitions, and leave nothing there but Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. He said, I die daily. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul says, the world's trying to kill me, but the problem is, it doesn't kill all of old Paul. The only thing that's left now is Christ. And the world can't kill Him. And as such, Paul says, hey, listen, because all that is there in my life, the only thing I've allowed to exist there is that which magnifies Jesus Christ. It has made me resilient, invincible to the affliction of the world so that now I don't even care one way or the other. It don't matter to me if Christ gets glory from me living or if He gets glory from me dying. The best that I can enjoy, the worst that the world could throw at me, none of it matters to me anymore. All that matters is that Jesus Christ be magnified. When a man lives like that, it turns that ruin into a rat. It gives him the resolve to face whatever may come down life's turn towards him. And I just wonder in our life, which of these components might be missing? Have we considered God's providence? Do we have clarity of perspective? Are we committed to praise God? Do we have confidence in prayer? And do we have a clear-cut priority that Christ and Him alone is all that matters? If you don't, why don't you deal with that tonight with the Lord and let Him make that reality in your life. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd glorify your son in this invitation. I pray that your people will get help. I know if you're magnified, we'll be helped. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, to deal with you in these next few moments. Lord, I love you and I ask it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, Brother Tim's going to play. Uh, what about you tonight? Has God spoken to your heart? If he has, find a place at this altar. Could be all of these things, could be one or two of these things, but in some way, the Holy Ghost smote your heart about something. If that's the case, won't you find a place down here and deal with the Lord? Let Him have His will and His way in your life. These are praying we have all the time we need. God spoke to your heart. I want you to come.